Welcome to Chromosphere, the color theory podcast. My name is Ed Charbonneau. I am an artist whose main focus is on painting, and I am also an adjunct faculty member in the Fine Arts Department at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. This podcast presents a series of conversations about color, color usage, and optics as they relate to theories of human color perception in the making of visual art and design. Today, I would like to talk about what is known as birefringence. By, by, birefringence. Oh, these words. If you're a regular, oh, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you're probably thinking to yourself, I don't know how this guy gets through the day, can't pronounce any words with more than six or seven letters in them. But anyway, all right, birefringence. So I'd like to talk about birefringence, polarization, and Michelangelo. My French is so bad. My wife and I have been to Paris a couple of times, and, and it's gotten to the point where I basically walk into a shop and say, bonjour, and the people just start talking to me in English. And at first I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, thank you, thank you. And, but then I'm like, wait a minute, my French is, like, so bad that you know. And, you know, then we're laughing and stuff. And then I'm thinking to myself, well, by that logic, probably accurate to think that I don't even know how to pronounce my last name, Charbonneau. Okay, back by refringence, polarization, and Michelangelo. So what is by refringence? It has to do with refraction of light. So by meaning to, and refringent is a synonym for re- refraction. And refraction refers to the speed of light, the w- or the way that light waves uh, change direction as they transmit is the term transmit or pass through a medium, such as atmosphere, glass, water, lens, prism, et cetera, et cetera. So encountering a change in a medium, so light is going through the air, then it hits glass, and then there's water in the glass, and the light's uh, being refracted as it goes through those materials and essentially changing speed. So that's how, like, if you take a spoon and put it in a glass of water, you can see the spoon appears like it's bending or it's broken as it, as it breaks the surface of the glass. That has to do with what is known, and that speed of light is what, what's known as the light's refractive index. So the refractive index refers to the speed of light, and so different media that light transmits through has different refractive indices indexes, indices, and I believe the atmosphere has a refractive index of one. So some media have a single refractive index, and that's referred to as isotropic. And there are other materials that have two or sometimes three, or, or I think even more, you can have more than three refractive indices. And those materials are referred to as anisotropic, anisotropic, there we go again, anisotropic, Charbonneau, Charbonneau, is that how you say my last name? Back on target. So light traveling through a medium at different refractive indices or speeds will bend. And back to my, you know, the spoon and the glass of water. Now, it's a little off topic, but the temperature of a media can have an effect 
on its refractive index. So in, in the case of mirages, think about going down the road up in front of you that looks like there's water on the highway, and you know, we've seen this before. Well, what's happening is that the heat coming off of the blacktop from the sunshine is uh, convecting heat up into the atmosphere. So it's changing the temperature of the air as it's closer to the blacktop. And so it's changing the actual density of the air. As the air warms up, it becomes less dense than the cooler media that is directly above it. And so, therefore, the less dense material will have a lower refractive index. Light uh, likes to take the path of least amount of time to get to our retinas. This gradient of texture of, of temperatures that are, are expanding off of the blacktop in front of you is basically picking up the light reflected from the sky. The blue light waves are basically coming down through that and they're changing direction as they encounter different densities of air transmitting through it at different speeds and they come into our eyes and our minds uh, perceive this this blue or this kind of shimmering reflective kind of looking thing it may not actually really look blue because we we experience color and context and memory our memories trace the like, what does that remind us of and it's like that looks like water reflecting the sky or moving on the surface of water so our minds make it up i think we make up a lot of what it is that we're seeing in terms of perception and how our minds are interpreting our environment okay so yeah i'm not gonna so we got these shimmering hazes on the blacktop that look like water and what does that have to do with Michelangelo and the speed of light? So birefringence has to do with polarization. Polarization refers to the perpendicular relationship of the electric and the magnetic fields that carry the photons in the wavelengths of electromagnetic light waves, electromagnetic radiation. So you got the word electric, electro, and then magnetic. And in a polarizing situation, you've got light uh, of different wavelengths that can have different polarizations, meaning the direction of those poles, of the, mainly the electric wave. And they vibrate in all directions. And so that, well, like in the case of like trying to photograph a painting, if you've ever tried to photograph like a glossy surface, or even like looking at, you can see it, like glare, you know what I mean? So basically what's happening in the situation with glare is that light is hitting the surface of the painting or whatever, and it's bouncing off at all different directions, and it's recombining back into white light, and it creates like a hot spot that we see as, as white. And so if you're photographing a painting, you don't want that, so you get a polarizing filter that you can put in front of the light sources and you can put them in front of the actual camera lens. And what the polarizing filter is it, it does is it only allows light wavelengths of a certain electric orientation, the electric wavelength orientation through that lens and it blocks all other wavelengths. So it takes out the, the other wavelengths that are recombining uh, to create white in that glare. So back to our bifringence, if I can ever get to the point here. 
is with the polarization, something that is bifurcating is our light waves that are moving at different axes, different polarizations, and traveling at different refractive indexes or speeds as they are reflected off of a material. If you've ever seen interference colors, uh, they, these, well, this is what's meant by this anisotropic, anisotropic materials, uh, materials that, that reflect light wavelengths at different refractive indexes. And so, like interference pigments you can buy, and you can, they typically I see them as like a powder, although Golden makes them in an acrylic, and so you can buy these interference colors that simultaneously reflect like green and blue light, or you can see it in animals like snakeskin and different beetles and various things. There's this, um, this silk that's referred to as shot silk. That also... Uh, bifurates uh, color and so you'll see like they have it a lot in like the old school sport coats that I have where the inside of the lining of the sport coat is uh, what we used to call shark skin but it's basically referred to as shot silk I don't know if it always has to be silk but its origins are in this word shot and the Italian word for shot is congianti, congianti, and hence this painting method referred to as congiantissimo, which Michelangelo championed as his time as a painter. Specifically, you can find it great examples of it in the painting the Doni Tondo that's in the Uffizi, and then on the frescoes of the Sistine Chapel. So this congianti, or... Uh, shot uh, method of uh, thinking about color arrangement and combinations can be traced back to our friend Sanino Sanini. His book, uh, Il Libro della Arte, otherwise known as the Craftsman Handbook, and I think it predates him. There are a number of treatises uh, going back, you know, hundreds of years, if not a thousand years, before Sanini published the Craftsman's Handbook in. Uh, 1390. He was really big on this um, conjunti method or shot, and he lists several ways to uh, use this technique. So the Craftsman's Handbook is written like a series of recipes and how-tos, and so he has, uh, he's got topics like how to paint a shot green drapery in fresco, how to paint in fresco a drapery shot with ash gray. How to paint one in secco shot with lake, which is a type of red, I believe. And he writes specifically in the how to paint how to how how to paint a shot green drapery in fresco, chapter let's see here seventy seven. This every one of these little headings is a chapter, and they're only like a short paragraph. But he writes. If you want to make a shot drapery for an angel in fresco, lay in the drapery in two values of blah, 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 and then he keeps going on about how to do it. I don't know if I've actually found where Sanini himself like, um, makes this connection, but Marsha Hall, I read this interesting idea that Sanini recommended uh, painting in a conjanti or shot style of managing uh, to to figures of heavenly bodies like angels and saints and whatever that aren't of this earthly mortal coil 
with this idea that artists shouldn't assume that the, that sunlight affects the, and reflects off of their bodies in or their forms in the same way as like us mere mortals. So hence, artists really went to town with like doing all these crazy color combinations. And, and at this time too, it should be like kind of pointed out that when Sanini was writing in the you know, centuries leading up to that, like capturing a, a naturalistic appearance of light and shadow on a figure wasn't a priority. Hence, they could paint these angels all these crazy colors and, and nobody like raised their hand and was like, uh, that, what's going on here? So back to Michelangelo and what this has to do with his connection to this whole story of this conjunti mode of uh, thinking, because like he was working on the Sistine Chapel from like 1505 to 1512, I believe, and so we're talking like more than a hundred years after uh, um, the Craftsman's Handbook was first published, and in that interim, a guy by the name of Leon Battista. Uh, Alberti wrote another book that took the place of uh, Sanini's um, painting method book by Italian artists. And Alberti did not recommend. He advocated a return to like how the Greeks of antiquity painted and the Romans and how they captured a natural sense of light and shadow. And so he discouraged artists from using things like conjunti and saw it that it was such a stylized, like it was in fashion to do this. And he argued against it. From what I understand, the method went out of favor for a little while. But here comes Michelangelo, and he's got to paint the Sistine Chapel. And he had already painted the Donny Tondo. I forget the date on that. And so, but Michelangelo, his dad was in the garment and textile industry. So Michelangelo, more than likely would have grown up around seeing the, the examples of this shot silk. And so it's reasonable, I think, to, to think that that would have uh, affected his ideas about color management and how, you know, that he is actually replicating something that's happening in nature. They may not have had the word for bifringence or been able to pronounce it as badly as me back then, but he was definitely aware of shot silk and conjunti. And, you know, that reminds me too of this, just the whole story of this color theory thing and how these various color combinations have come down through history and through the centuries. Like garment making and textiles and stuff like that has had, played an incredible role. So like in one of the other episodes, I talk about Chevrolet and Ogden Rood and the uh, kind of the origins of the idea of optical mixing. Chevrolet was a chemist who was brought in to lead the Goblins, Goblins, Joblins tapestry works. And I believe he led the Dyers Guild at the time. And I read that one of the main reasons he was brought in there was that in the production of textiles, they were combining different threads together to make different fabrics. And people were wondering why they were losing the chromaticity of of the fabric so they'd have this like you know amazing red fabric or thread and the way they were weaving it with other colors was producing this rather dull result in in the in the yards of fabric that they were producing and it was him it was it was Chevrolet who 
figured out this that determined this idea of optical mixing and that if you have all these like incredibly red threads and you put them next to a bunch of like blue ones that the blue and the reds are going to mix optically and you're going to get a color that is not as vibrant in the final uh, garment and the idea of optical color mixing it's had a huge impact on the approach to art and color mixing and materials and, and you name it. So like going back to Michelangelo and the, his dad was in the garment trade and he would have grown up around this shop material, this conjanti, and then, and then him specifically bringing it back. I think he was noted as like championing this technique after it had kind of gone to sleep for maybe a hundred years because Alberti was writing so much about going after the Greek ideal of capturing uh, nature as it's seen in terms of um, light and shadow and proportions and scale. So that'll end it for today's episode. We had a conversation about bifurengence, polarization, glare, mirages even, uh, and Michelangelo and the Conjanti mode of color organization or what is commonly... Uh, called one of the four canons of Renaissance painting, alongside Sfumato, Unioni, and Chiaroscuro, each with their own histories. And talk about Chevrol and then Sanini, who I've talked to about before in past episodes. Um, Sanino Sanini and his book of 1390, which... Uh, it's interesting, in the, in the book, he begins by kind of proving his credentials by tracing back his knowledge or where these recipes and this advice are coming from back to Giotto. So he goes very specifically through his father was also a painter, and um, that he traces it right back to the workshop of, uh, of Giotto. So this is more like a collection of techniques that had been passed down through generations that he compiled finally into a book. And then we've got Alberti coming along not that far afterwards in 1435 or 1436, I've seen a couple of dates, when Di Pittura, his book uh, translated as On Painting, was, was first published and how that had an impact on what became kind of like the Renaissance proper or the high Renaissance and where Michelangelo was pulling some of his ideas from. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with your friends and family who may be interested and follow Chromosphere, the color theory podcast on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you if you have comments or suggestions. I'd like to thank Jeremy Shapinsky for writing and performing the theme music. Thank you also to Grant Winkles, Susie Manili, and Jeremy Shapinsky again for their production, consulting, and editing. <laughs>